0: Now let us turn to Psalm 62. Truly, my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies, they bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we considered the, the church of Jesus Christ, uh, the city of God. We looked at... Uh, a psalm that depicts the beauty and strength of God's people, because God is in her midst, and the beauty and strength of God's people is God Himself. Now tonight, our psalm emphasizes uh, trust in God, but in a very personal and a very individual way. A passage uh, that Janelle selected for her profession of faith, and indeed, it's a very suitable passage for that, because profession of faith is a personal response to God's covenant mercies. It's also suitable for us to consider, uh, this passage together tonight. Uh, the theme of this psalm indeed is trust in God. And it begins with a confession of such trust, an affirmation of, of such trust. Truly, my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. And as this psalm also describes, uh, that trust is often undermined. It's often attacked and challenged by opposition. And David himself certainly experienced that. He was the target of lies, people who wanted to undermine him and remove him from his position as God's anointed king. And uh, this psalm is about the fight of faith. It's a spiritual battle to cling to God in faith, when circumstances or people or our own feelings would make us lose hope, would undermine uh, that trust in God. Now, in our text, in verses 5 through 8, we have what we might call a kind of determined exertion of uh, faith. We hear an expression of faith uh, valiant, faith triumphant in this spiritual battle. And in that, it provides for us a great model of faith. It provides for us a great encouragement. In effect, this text says, cling to God. Cling to God with this personal resolve, with this optimism and expectation from God, who is all-sufficient for your every need, whatever your circumstances may be. And that's what we are considering to, tonight together under this theme, that believers may find their all in God. And we'll fill up the significance of that, that statement, to find their all. I, I struggled over whether to say all that they need, but it's, it's more than all that they need. It is our life, it is our happiness uh, that is found in God and in Him alone. And we begin by considering this as a message uh, to myself. I don't know about you, but sometimes I actually send myself an email or I I text myself because uh, I become aware of something that I really need to remember. And the simplest way to do that at the time is to send myself a message and so that I'll see it and remember what I need to know. Well, here is a text a literal text of God's Word that we all do well to have written on our hearts uh, as a note to self. Note to self. My soul, wait silently for God alone. That's a kind of exhortation to ourselves. And uh, if you're familiar with the book of Psalms, you'll know that this kind of self-talk is common in the Psalms. Why are you cast down, O my soul? The psalmist asks. Whom shall I fear? He asks. Why should I be afraid? And we could multiply such questions that he really poses to himself. Now David had already affirmed his trust in God, as I'd already mentioned in verse 1. Truly, my soul silently waits for God. And that's a statement of conviction. He's not doubtful about it. Already we hear a determination and a confidence that indeed that's what he does. He waits for God. But it he apparently feels the need to admonish himself and to exhort himself to remember that and to keep it up. Now we all talk to ourselves in one way or another. Well, that doesn't mean that we all... Talk out loud to ourselves. Maybe you do. I do. Perhaps on certain occasions we talk out loud to ourselves, but whether we do out loud or not, we all talk to ourselves. Often when we're worried or concerned, we, we, we talk to ourselves. We may not even frame the, the actual words in our minds, but we, in a sense, repeat our worries to ourselves. And Jesus captures that uh, very common uh reality when he says do not worry about your life saying what shall we eat what shall we wear worry comes to expression in these kinds of uh questions that we pose to ourselves and get ourselves worked up and anxious by revolving and repeating to ourselves the cause of our distress or our our concern or our fears and we can talk ourselves into uh the sin of unbelief. But we need to learn also to talk ourselves out of it. And I'm not talking about a kind of self-talk of humanistic psychology, but rather we need to learn to talk to ourselves in faith as the psalmist does. When he says, My soul waits silently for God alone. In effect, he is saying, Trust God and trust in Him calmly and quietly. Say to yourself, in effect, things like this, I really don't know about my future, and I do have questions and uncertainties that trouble me, but I have a Savior who knows all about me, and He knows about my future. I can't defend myself. I can't stop the lies that are spoken about me. That was certainly the case with David. But I can entrust myself to God. I can entrust my reputation and my future in that way also to the Lord. Or I just don't have the ability. I don't have the strength to do it. Fill in the blank. I can't. But my help is in the Lord. And He will give me what I need to do, whatever He calls me to do. If I know that it's His will, and I want to do what He tells me to do. I can trust in Him to, to give me the strength that I need. But, but and we can raise all kinds of objections. And in effect, every one of those objections uh, is basically answered in the same way, in one form or another. And that is to trust in the Lord. It's like we need to have this pounded into our heads. And we need to remind ourselves of it so often. Trust in God. Trust in God alone or only. Actually, that word only is found in the original uh, language four times in this psalm. It is uh, translated uh, three times or at least once with the word alone or only, but but four times this word only or alone is used with respect to uh, God, that he only, is our defense. He only is my rock and my salvation. Wait for God alone. He only is my rock and salvation. We have repetition in this Psalm either also. Again, a reminder of the value and the importance of, of, uh, repetition. Reading the same words over and over again and preaching them to ourselves over and over again. But this idea, this idea of of God alone, God only, is so important. God alone is trustworthy. And this psalm really also presents us with contrasts. Contrasts between God and people. Listen to verse 9, it says, Surely men of low degree are a vapor. People that are relatively uh, insignificant, or powerless, or weak, or or poor, or whatever, however uh, they might be defined as low in their station, of low degree. What are they? A vapor? And people like to make a big deal of the contrast that exists among people. Yeah, there are there are the poor, the weak, but then there are the strong. There are those who are in positions of influence and power and wealth. There are those in high degree. Well, what does God's word say about those who are in high degree? Men of high degree are a lie. They live in a fantasy world if they imagine that they are strong and powerful and self-reliant apart from God. In fact, then we're given this uh, very fascinating picture. It says, if they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. It's describing a scale where you, where you have, uh, two plates or bowls, right? And you put a weight on one side and another weight on the other side and, Uh, If you have a a measured weight, like a a one-pound block, well, then you can see if that's heavier or lighter than what you put on the other side. So you put men of high degree and of low degree, you put them on one side, and on the other side you put some vapor. And lo and behold, the vapor goes down and everyone else goes up. It's like vapor is heavier than people. It's a pretty, pretty vivid picture, isn't it? Of the significance of man himself, not worth our trust and reliance. Now that doesn't mean, brothers and sisters, that, uh, God doesn't minister to us through others. Sometimes we need to see a doctor, don't we? And sometimes, uh, we really need people. And sometimes we need some really good counsel and some practical advice and a whole variety of things that, uh, are supplied Uh, to us by the instrumentality of people. But we are always to see beyond them. We're not to put them in the place of God. We're not to trust in them. We're to trust that God will use them. But ultimately, our confidence, whatever means we use, are to be fixed on God. We're not to trust in people. We're not to trust in power. Do not trust in oppression, right? That's what strong people might tend to think, that they can bully their way to get their way. And they can oppress others or or steal from them, rob them. Don't trust in such evil things. Don't trust in riches. Riches are described as, as deceitful, as uncertain. Command the rich, Paul tells Timothy, Uh, Not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Riches make for themselves wings and they fly away. They are notoriously untrustworthy and unreliable. In contrast to all these things, trust in God alone. Whether rich or poor, whether weak or strong. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Right? That, that familiar, uh, question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, boils it down to what is your one and only basis for real comfort in life and in death? There's a singular foundation for our trust, and that is God, our faithful Savior. Message to self, wait silently, wait quietly, expecting help from God. My expectation is from Him. Secondly, this is a message all about God. Now, I trust we've already been seeing that. But here we're going to look at some of those reasons that are given to trust in God. And the psalm is full of them. God is our all. That's why he alone is worthy of our trust. Well, what are some of those things that this psalm presents to us as found in God only? How about stability? God is a rock. That's repeated three times in this psalm. In the first part of verse 6, He only is my rock in my salvation. The same words are found in verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation. Again in verse 7. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength. Now a rock is immovable. A rock is solid. A rock is unchanging. And the scripture uses that imagery to describe God, the Lord, Jehovah. I am that I am. The Almighty God who does not change. And you see, without God, brothers and sisters, there's really nothing or no one that is uh, solid, that provides a basis for true stability to our lives. Pity this world without God. Pity a world that is lacking the stability of knowing who they are in this world in relation to God. We live in a world where increasingly children in grade school suffer from depression and debilitating anxiety. Suicides in junior high and high school and epidemic levels. And yes, there's all kinds of factors that explain that. The breakdown of the family. But that in itself is a reflection of a move away from the stability of a worldview that is grounded in certain and fixed reality. These poor kids have to decide for themselves whether they're male or female. It's hard to estimate the kind of psychological harm and anxiety and fear and distress that that must cause our children only in God and in His truth Is there a foundation for true stability? Without God, there is no firm foundation on which to stand. Nothing firm on which to build your life. Nowhere to hide. Nowhere to take refuge in an immovable shelter that can withstand the blast of the worst storms of life. Only God is such a rock. Only in God is there safety Again, how many times is that repeated in this psalm? In God is my refuge. My refuge is in God, verse 7. Verse 8, God is a refuge for us. We heard that thought repeated this morning. We looked at Psalm 47 where it's repeated again and again. God is the place to run for protection from danger. In the Old Covenant, there were these cities of refuge. Were someone who was uh, uh, responsible for the death of another person accidentally, he could run to these cities. He could escape uh, the avenger of blood. A family member who's out to take vengeance. He doesn't care about the circumstances. It's like an avenging God in view of our violation of His law. And the law dogs us. And there's no refuge. But these people could take refuge in a city. And there they would be safe. Well, Christians have fled for refuge to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's shelter from the storm of the judgment that we deserve. In Him there is safety. In Him there is salvation. Four times that's repeated in this psalm. He only is my rock. In my salvation, he only is my rock and my salvation. In God is my salvation and my glory. It's repeated three times in our text. And this salvation has been supremely revealed to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We have comfort because our faithful Savior has fully satisfied for all our sins. He paid the penalty for our guilt. And he delivers us from all the power of the devil. Blessed are those who trust in him. God is our strength. The rock of my strength. How can people who are in themselves a vapor or a breath, same idea. How can they have any strength? Be strong in the Lord, the Bible says. Be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. And only in that strength can we uh, wrestle against principalities and powers and uh, hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. And he is our song. In God is my salvation and my glory, my glory. The true honor that God confers and a true reason for, for boasting, not in ourselves. A true reason for exalting. A true reason for singing. It's in God. Don't expect much respect from the world. We can expect to meet with shame and contempt. But we can take it. We can take it because we don't accept the terms of the world's judgment. They'll judge of us favorably if we get in line and adopt their philosophy of life. If we make friends with the world and show by our attitude, by our words and conduct, that uh the world is our friend, well, then we'll have their approval. But we cannot accept the terms of their judgment. They make evaluations on the base of, a basis of uh, agreement with a godless outlook. On the basis of of shared values in terms of wealth or influence or pleasure. They glory in human wisdom. But we glory in God. They can't understand that. It doesn't make sense to them. And it makes us look ridiculous in their eyes. But we value the honor that comes from him. And in him, then, we have something, someone uh, to boast in. Not the kinds of heroes that this world boasts in, but in God. But notice, in conclusion of this point, that all these statements are all about who God is to us. He is. He is. He is. That's the repeated language of this psalm. In other words, this is not about what you get from God. It's about what, or rather who, you have in God. God himself is our all. In Psalm 118, we read, The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. It's because of this relationship that we have to Him. As those baptized into the triune name. As those united to this Savior. As those who have this God for our God. Right? This is at the heart of the promise of God's covenant. I will be God to you. And to have God as our God is to have all. It is to have everything that we need. It is to have all that pertains to life and godliness eternally, forever. He has become my strength and song, my salvation. Brothers and sisters, that's the way it was for our Lord Jesus Christ. What did his life of perfect obedience entail? As a true man, as a true uh, little boy, as a true teenager, as a true young man, living in the midst of this world with all its sorrows, with all its temptations, with all, with all its evil, he clung to God as his God. And he grew in obedience. He grew in the actual practice of conforming to his Father's will by the things that he suffered because he clung to God. And he resisted every allure meant to deviate from that path of perfect obedience and fulfillment of his office. He trusted in God. Even his enemies recognized that. They threw it in his face as if it were a misplaced trust. Let him deliver him if he delights in him. Oh, but he continued to trust in God, even upon the cross. And he was delivered indeed. He was obedient unto death. He was faithful. He found God to be his strength, his song, his salvation. And in him, so it is for us. Yes, that's the heart of the covenant. This wonderful message. that's all about God. And then thirdly, it's a message for all. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. You see, at this point, the psalm moves from personal confession to what we might call corporate interest. That word corporate has to do with uh, the word body. And this psalm is concerned with, with the body. It's concerned with the church. I ask this question, uh, what kind of spiritual instinct is voiced in this verse, which says, trust in him at all times, you people. What what moves the psalmist from this personal uh, uh, self-exhortation and resolve? What moves him from that focus to focus upon others as well? Well, it's this spiritual instinct that arises from a true knowledge and experience of God. And that is that God should be known by others also. That others should also know the blessedness of trusting in Him. That others also should glorify Him. It's a personal song, but uh, it's not a solo It's sung in the company of God's people. All people should trust in the Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ achieved a great salvation that is sufficient for all who call upon Him. He is a refuge for us, Psalm 8 concludes. And that refuge isn't a hole in the ground. It's not a little cave. It's not a little cottage where I can live an isolated life. It's a city. All oh, the circumstances of people differs greatly and their individual sorrows and their trials and their sins are indeed individual, personal, complex. The heart knows its own trouble, but it doesn't matter what that trouble is. It doesn't matter how complicated people's situation and how desperate their circumstances may seem to be. It doesn't matter what great sinners they are, whoever they may be. The message is the same. Trust in Him, you people, without further qualification. All these troubles may be poured out. Whatever the heart is full of, may be poured out to God who knows all and who can be all to everyone who puts their trust in him. All people should trust in the Lord always, at all times, in all our trouble and need, for all our sins and our miseries. Yes, we've heard repetition in this psalm. Many of these descriptions of, of God are... Repeated again and again and again to teach us to help us to remind us that yes, we need such repetition we need to hear. we need to hear God repeating his promises to us constantly, we need to learn to to repeat them to ourselves. once has God spoken, so the psalm concludes, yes, twice, I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and also mercy. What a blessed repetition, this declaration of God who was all to us. Well, let's learn, brothers and sisters, to receive it, to take it for all it's worth, to constantly hear it, to repeat it to ourselves, to stir ourselves up, to admonish ourselves, to kind of take ourselves in hand again, exhort ourselves If you'll allow a personal confession, I really didn't feel like preaching tonight. I'm tired. I'm kind of brain weary. And I get discouraged. And it was hard. But God helped me. And I want to acknowledge him as giving me the strength and the the sense of the beauty of the truth that I have to share and to proclaim with you. And, uh, so let me say as kind of a personal testimony that sometimes I experience this for myself. Not as often as I should. Because just like you, I'm a sinner. I'm forgetful. I fail to exhort my, to my, myself. Or I fail to listen to God's word. And my slothfulness and my unbelief wins out. But there are times. And they should increase as, as in the midst of this struggle of faith, as we battle unbelief, and we battle the weariness and the I can't syndrome, and I don't care, and it doesn't matter, and I'm just going to feel sorry for myself, we've got to push through in faith and exhort ourselves and listen to God's Word. and And there are times, and may those times increase, when God shows His help and gives us what we need and gives us joy in Him. Amen.